where we are tonight. And so it's been a few weeks since we've been in the book of Job. If you need a Bible, please raise your hand and someone will run to you with a Bible. We are in chapter 6. of Job. Before we begin, let's play. Psalm 3 says, Lord, it says, Lord, you're a shield for us. You're a glory. You're the one who lifts our head. And even, Lord, as we cry out, Lord, you hear us. Father, your word says, I lay down and slept, I awoke for the Lord to sustain me. And I will not be afraid of ten thousands of people, even as they set themselves against me all around. Father, your word says salvation belongs to you. And we just agree this morning that that's the case. Salvation belongs to you. We look to your hand, Lord. Even as your word says that we're supposed to be working out our salvation with fear and trembling, we thank you that that's a process that you do in us and through us. Salvation belongs to you, Lord. And Father, I just pray in the name of Jesus that you would speak to us this evening, speak to our hearts. We come here, Lord, to rest in your grace, to rest in your salvation, which is only by grace, not by works. And Father, we just know that there's so much that you want to speak to us about in this book, the book of Job. Father, open our hearts, ears, and minds. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. So the book of Job, oldest book in the Bible, probably 4,000 years old. Job, probably a contemporary of Abraham. beginning of the book, Satan comes into the presence of God, and God says, what have you been doing? He goes, well, I've going, been going to and fro from all the, you know, on all the earth, and the Lord said, well, have you considered my servant Job? And Satan said, oh, come on, Lord, this guy only follows you because you bless him. You bless him and he follows you. You take away the blessing, he won't follow you anymore. And the Lord said to him, Okay, take away. Take away the blessing if you'd like. But don't touch his person, meaning don't touch his body. So uh, Satan goes and 
basically kills all of Job's children, all his property destroyed and stolen and taken away. Job arises, tears his robe, shaves his head, but he falls down and he worships. Naked I came from my mother's womb, naked shall I return there. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And then in chapter 2, Satan shows up again in heaven. The Lord says, hmm, see you again. What have you been up to? Oh, I've been going throughout all the earth. Well, have you considered my servant Job? There is none like him in all the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and shuns evil. Satan basically says, ah, you didn't let me touch his body. If you let me strike his body, his health, believe me, he'll curse you to your face. Pretty bold statement on the part of Satan to God. He'll curse you to your face. That's what Satan said to God. And the Lord said, okay, well, go ahead. You reach out with your hand, but you don't kill him. And so Satan goes out. He struck him with painful boils from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. His wife comes to him and says, look, why are you holding fast to your walk with God, curse him and die. And he said to her, you speak as one of the foolish women speaks. Shall we accept good from the, from the Lord and not evil, not adversity? In all this, it says in verse 10 of chapter 2, Job did not sin with his lips. So many people, just by way of review, We talked about a question that so many people have, and that's why do bad things happen to good people? And what did we say? There's an answer for that. There's a biblical answer. No such thing as good people. There's never been such a thing as a good person in the history of mankind except for one, Jesus Christ. We deserve hell and everlasting judgment. The question is why God would do any good thing to anyone. That's the real question. Considering the rebellion and the depths of the evil in the heart of man. There is a presumption that is sort of rampant not only in the world outside the church, but within the church, this crazy idea that people get that God exists for me, for us. And therefore, I should always be happy. And things should always go my way. But God doesn't exist for me. He created me for his pleasure to do with me whatever he wills, whatever he wants. For his purposes, many times that we have no idea what they're about, what his purposes are. You know, when 
the children of Israel initially left um, Egypt and they were going towards the Red Sea and they were boxed in right in front of the Red Sea. In front of them is basically this ocean, this is a sea, but you know, it's, as far as they could see, water. And back of them is an army in chariots that's just about to slaughter them. They got really, really upset. Why did we leave? Why did we do this? They didn't understand that there was a very specific purpose in what was going on. God had declared that he would be glorified through the nation of Israel and that he eventually, that Egypt would honor him for, for, because of what they would see by his hand. But the Israelites, they didn't know that. All they know, they, was, they were about to be slaughtered. Of course, they weren't, but that's what they thought they were, you know, about, uh, was about to happen. And so oftentimes in our life, we just don't know why it is we're going through what we're going. But there's a purpose. God's going to be glorified. Uh, we know that. You know, Job didn't have the book of Job. He didn't have it. We do. And we can know that, so whatever happens, um, the Lord is um, going to glorify himself in our lives. Even if, it is, even if it ends in death, he will be glorified in our life. And so these things happened with Job, and at the end of chapter 2, uh, three of his friends show up. Job was, was very uh, well known. In chapter 1, it says he was the greatest man in the uh, in the east, and you have these three guys show up, and for seven days they didn't say anything because they were so shocked um, at at just the sight of him. Uh, they couldn't say anything. And um, in chapter three, Job is like just begins to just sort of cry out with his grief. Why was I ever born? I, I Lord, curse the day that I was born. That that uh, I came through my mother's womb. And um, in chapter 4, uh, Job pauses for a moment, and uh, one of his friends in verses 1 and 2 basically say, I, says, I, his name is Eliphaz, Eliphaz, and he says, I just can't help myself. I, have to, I can't continue listening to you, Job. I have to say something. And he begins to... Um, explain in chapter 4, explain to Job why all these bad things are happening to him. Why all these bad things um, are happening to him. And uh, in a word, it's because there's some secret sin uh, in his life. And then he goes on towards the end of the chapter and, and, and he says... There's some secret sin you're in, in your life. And by the way, uh, God told me this. God told me that you have some deep secret sin that you haven't told us uh, anyone about, and it's finally caught up to you. Beware of people who say they're Christians who come up to you and say, say you know what? God told me this about you. Just be on your guard. And I would just ask you 
to consider before you say something like, but before you say God told me, just insert the words I think or I believe. That's humility. But even more so, you need to consider whether you need to say anything at all, particularly in a situation where there's no clear indication. You know, a very dear friend of mine, a pastor, is now in the hospital. He has been for months, and he's got... It, it's just amazing. The guy is a, is a walking Job. He's got sores all over his body. He's got a, you know... A, a, he's got a number of things. He's got cancer, but he's also got some other autoimmune disease where he... Um, it's attacking all the mucous membranes of his body, so it literally sores are coming out anywhere where mucus is, um, uh, you know, comes from. And, and it's just, uh, when I saw the guy, I was just, I was just like this, in, in, just like these guys in Job chapter 2. I, I, I shuddered um, at the sight of him. And Stephanie and I went and visited he and his wife, and sure enough, he told us about two different friends of his coming in and suggesting that he had some secret sin. And I'm like, I, I just don't get it. Did these guys not read the Bible? I, I, I mean, how, how outrageous to do something like that. And, and the thing is, this guy, he's a mature believer. He's a pastor, and he's, he's able to be uh, gracious with them. Uh, and, and that type of thing, and you know, his 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 wife didn't is right at his side, and so are many many friends of his. His wife didn't say curse you. Why don't you just curse God and die? You know, uh, she's right by his side, and so are we and many others. And we've been praying for him. Uh, but but it's just amazing to me how people don't read their Bible. Now, if someone's in some obvious sin, go for it, confront them. But if their life is, if, they, if you're looking at someone and they look like a Job, their health, their job's gone, someone died, whatever, don't go, don't presume anything about why that happens. It's not for you or for me to do. And so we pick up in chapter 6, and this is right um, after he's listening to Eliphaz, just talk about all the things that Eliphaz thinks that Job has done. He's sinned, and not only that, God has told him he's sinned. And uh, It's interesting, at the end of the book of Job, Eliphaz is the one guy God himself calls out. <laughs> like, you need to go rebuke this guy and give a sacrifice for this guy. <laughs> but in verse 1 of chapter 6, it says, Then Job answered, he answered this guy Eliphaz, Oh, that my grief were fully weighed, and my calamity laid with it on the scales, for then it would be heavier than the sand of the sea. Therefore, my words have been rash. In other words, these guys are making a bad situation worse by trying in the, with you know, good intentions, but by trying to help out, they're making his, his situation worse. Verse 3, For then it would be heavier than the sand of the seas, therefore, therefore my words have been rash. For the arrows of the Almighty are within me. My spirit drinks in their poison. The, 
Uh, terrors of God are arrayed against me. Does the wild donkey bray when it has grass? Or does the ox low over its fodder? Can flavorless food be eaten without salt? Or is there any taste in the white of an egg? My soul refuses to touch them. They are as loathsome food to me. In other words, Eliphaz, what you're telling me want, makes me want to throw up. He says, you're, you're giving me flavorless food. It's, it's rotten. It's loathsome to me what, what you're telling me. There just is, because man, fallen man and woman, ever since the fall in the garden, sin has entered into this world and therefore there's sickness, there's calamity and all kinds of evil things. Part of fallen man... There, in part of fallen man, there is a sort of a, a superstitious strain in fallen man that just assumes when something bad happens to someone, it's because of some bad thing they did, some evil thing they did. That's in every single culture anywhere you go. It's, it's a classic sign of a... Uh, uh, of someone or a community that just does not know God and doesn't understand God. It's superstition is what it is. In the Bible, though, we learn so very clearly it's the wonderful thing about being born again, being enlightened. There is not necessarily any uh, connection whatsoever. Of course, there's many of the, uh, the things that we suffer in life are because of our own sin. But... Um, uh, there are other things that happen to us that are simply the result of being um, in a, a, a fallen world. And so he's saying, look, you, what you're telling me, it makes me want to throw up. And if my grief, verse 2, was fully weighed, my calamities laid with the scale would be heavier than the sand of the sea. And, and you know something, as I read this, as I'm going through the book of Job, I keep coming back to the same thing. I don't want to be like these guys. And how oftentimes I have been. You know, someone's in some calamity. And, you know, I come in and, well, you've got to do this and this and this. And here's what you're doing wrong. This, this, and this. And all it does is make their soul shrivel up even more. I don't want to be like that. And, I, and one of the things I value so much about this book is we see our behavior for what it's really like in these guys. We see how foul it is. The Bible says love suffers long. It is kind. And that's the men and women of God that we need to be. It bears all things. It love believes all things. Love hopes all things. So if someone, you know, is in this horrible health situation, they've been laid off or whatever the calamity, love believes all things. I'm just going to assume it has nothing to do with any sin. I'm just going to love them. I'm going to bless them. So Eliphaz in verse 7 of chapter 4 had, had told Job, well, whoever 
who, who has ever perished being innocent? Of course, he doesn't know about Jesus yet, but we know that there are plenty of people who perish who are innocent. And he's got a, uh, just a lack of, of sympathy. And, you know, in First, first Corinthians... Chapter 13, I keep on coming back to verse 1. Though I speak with the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. You know, when you're a... I don't know about you, but when I'm in a really difficult, hard place in life, the last thing I need outside the door of my house is a jackhammer, a clanging symbol. It just makes everything so much worse. God forbid that we're a clanging symbol or a sounding brass in people's lives when they're in a, in a dark place in their life. Love suffers long. It's kind. It does not envy. Love does not parade itself. It's not push, puffed up. And then I love verse 5. Remember, we did the, the study in this. It says, verse 5, love does not behave rudely. Not a particularly good translation. What it really means, love is not insensitive. It's always sensitive. It's discerning in a situation, in every, in, in every situation. It does not seek its own. So let's not point our fingers as we're going through the book of Job at these three guys. Actually, there's four. Let's remember that this is... This is how we are. And let's use it as an opportunity to be just very, very different than this. So much of ministry, I was telling our leadership team this, even, the, the, this morning, is just loving and listening. Of course, there's a time to confront and rebuke. So much of ministry is loving and listening. So verse 8 of chapter 6. Oh, that I might have my request that God would grant me the thing that I long for, that it would please God to crush me, that it would loose his hand and cut me off. In other words, oh, that I would die. He would just let me die. Any, any of you ever felt like that? the Elijah. I call it sort of the Elijah complex. God, just take my life. I'm no better than my father's. Aren't you glad that the Lord doesn't always say yes to our prayers? This is one of them. You know, he knows that there are many things that I ask for that um, are not good for me or best for me or have anything to do with his will for my his will for my life. And by the way, that's one reason that many times things get just so complex and confused in, in our life that the Spirit of God has to intercede for us. Romans chapter 8, verse 26 says, Therefore the Spirit also helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. The Spirit prays prayers 
through us sometimes that we don't understand, and there are just many things, frankly, that we pray for sometimes. And here, Job is praying that he would he would die, um, and uh, thank the Lord, God doesn't always say yes, like the um, like the genie. For you have. For you who have heard this before, I apologize in advance. But, you know, this genie comes up to a guy here in Boston. says, name three wishes. I'll give them to you. And what's your first wish? Oh, I would just like an uh, a oceanfront uh, house on the Cape and Cape Cod and this nice big old spread with glass windows right just facing the ocean. Poof! The guy's in this house. He's looking out. Oh, this is incredible. And Jeannie shows up, what's your second wish? Well, I wish I had a Beamer convertible, a BMW convertible. All of a sudden he's going down Route 3, you know, towards the Cape in a, in a BMW. Wow, this is, this is incredible. And he turns on... Um, he turns on the radio and a commercial came on. He started singing along with this, along with it. I wish I was an Oscar Mayer wiener. Are you guys too young for that? He, he turned into a hot dog? You guys? Okay. Sorry. I, you know, I just sometimes, sorry. Just thank you for letting me do that. Um, but anyway, many, you know, there are many, there, there are many times that the things that I, uh, there are many other times, you know, that the things that I think that, that, you know, we, we sometimes literally pray, Lord, just, just let me die. This is just too intense. And, but, but, um, there's many times that I think that, that, that God is saying no to a prayer, um, that we're asking for that we've recently prayed about something, that they're really a yes to even a previous prayer. For example, you know, let's say just in a moment of, of sincerity and really seeking the Lord, I ask the Lord to humble me, to break me. By the way, be careful before you pray that prayer. I shudder every time. Even as I grow older in the Lord, I shudder more and more. Okay, Lord, humble me. I'm ready. Just do it. Um, you know, and the next week you go into work and, and you find out, oh, there's an announcement there that there's going to be a layoff. And then you're like, oh, Lord, uh, don't let me be laid off. Then you get laid off. And you're like, Lord, you answered no. And he's like, no, I answered yes. You prayed that you would be broken and humbled. <laughs> that's the, it's, it's the answer to the previous prayer. And so, you know, that's why it's good, by the way, to keep a journal of things that you pray for. And so you can go back and sort of understand and you know, put the answers in. But um, uh, so, uh, so often, uh, you know, Job is crying out here uh, for, to God, asking him for something that, you know, God had wonderful, wonderful plans here. Uh, for for Job that he knows nothing uh, about yet. Verse 11, and it says, Job continues, What strength do I have and that I should hope? And what is my end that I should prolong my life? Is my strength the strength of stones or is my flesh bronze? Is my help not within me and is success driven from me? 
to him who is afflicted, kindness should be shown by his friend. So he's speaking, now he's speaking again to Eliphaz. You know, friends don't do what you're doing. Friends are kind. What you're doing uh, is, is, is not kind. Verse 14 says, even though he forsakes the fear of the Almighty. So even though someone who happened to be in, in, in sin, there is still, we still need to be kind to them. Jesus said, be kind to your enemies, for and, and therefore you'll be. Uh, if you do, you'll be called a son of God, because God is uh, kind to the ungrateful and the uh, and to the wicked and to the evil. God is kind to the ungrateful and to the evil. And so, um, Job in verse fourteen, it says, "Look, if you're really my friend, why are you?" Uh, treating me like this. Verse 15, my brothers have dealt deceitfully like a brook, like the streams of the brook that pass away, which are dark because of the ice and into which the snow uh, vanishes. When it is warm, they cease to flow. In other words, uh, well, then it goes on, when it is hot, uh, they vanish from their place. In other words, in the winter, these are nice bubbling brooks that are cool, but by what good are they in the summer when they dry up when you really need refreshment? And, and, you know, and what he's saying, look, when times were okay, you guys were my friends and you were refreshing. But when I really needed you, you're nothing more than a dried up brook. That's how good you are to me right now. God, help us and give us the grace to be something different. As we minister to people in our family and around us, turn to Psalm 84. I love this psalm. Just a wonderful, wonderful psalm. Psalm 84. Verse 5. Psalm 84, verse 5. Blessed is the man whose strength is in you, whose heart is set on pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of Baca. Now, Baca means desert or desolation, desert. They make it a spring. The rain, the rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God and Zion. Let me ask you this evening... Are you, does this describe you? When you go into the valley of Baca, which means a desert or weeping, weeping, it can mean sort of like both things, a valley of weeping or a, a, a desert. Do you turn the situation into um, a spring? Or are you a dried up brook when you confront these situations where that, 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 that you're in? When you go into a situation where everyone is stressed out, do you leave it and the temperature is a lot higher than when you came in? Or does the temperature go down as you go into it as a peacemaker? And that those are the people that God wants us to be back in chapter 6.
verse 24, he challenges them. He says, teach me and I will hold my tongue. Cause me to understand wherein I have erred. And so, again, they're doing the secret sin thing. You must have some secret sin. And he's like, okay, tell me what it is. Well, I don't know what it is. But you're suffering, so there, there must be a sin. Verse 25, how forceful are right words, but what does your arguing prove? In other words, they, you know, they're giving him all this advice, but they're really not proving anything. They're not proving their point because they can't identify anything. Verse 26, do you intend to rebuke my words and the speeches of a desperate one, which are as wind? Yes, you overwhelm the fatherless. You undermine your friend. Therefore, be pleased to look at me, for I would never lie to your face. Yield now. Let there be no injustice. In other words, stop it. Stop it. Enough already. Verse 30 is there, injustice on my tongue cannot my taste discern the unsavory. In other words, look, I know of no sin that I'm holding on to. He's just being upfront and and uh, honest with them. Verse twenty-two. If you could just back up a little bit, is is also important. He's 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 speaking to these guys. Did I ever say bring something to me? In other words, did I really tell you I wanted to hear your advice here? And it's just so important that when we speak truth into someone's life, they're either okay with it, have asked for it, or have somehow indicated to you that they want to receive from you. Otherwise, you're just wasting your time. You're just... um, uh, You're just doggy paddling in, in, you know, in the same place. Job never asked for this. And so, so often time, and this is a principle that's taken me so long to, to learn in ministry, if, if someone doesn't, isn't interested uh, or hasn't given me permission to speak into their life, I need to just keep silent. You know, Jesus amazes me as I look at his ministry. One of the most amazing things written in the Gospels that that time when John the Baptist he was arrested and his disciples um, came to John the Baptist's disciples came to Jesus and and said why is it that we fast and the Pharisees fast but your disciples are always pigging out with you you know they're they're eating they're they're at parties they're at wedding feasts why is that. Now, what G- how Jesus answers w- would not ha- have been how I would have ever expected. <laughs> what he said was, look, you know, while the bridegroom is here, they need to, f- to feast with him. There'll be a time when he goes away, then they'll fast. But I find it totally amazing that Jesus didn't say to them, you guys, John the Baptist is in prison. <laughs> His ministry is over. I'm the Son of God. I'm the Messiah. What are you doing? Doing the same things as the Pharisees are doing. And, and you know, 
why don't you come and join us? Somehow he knew that they weren't ready to receive that. He's completely, and the principle that, that I learned from that is you have to supremely rely on prayer and the power of God to change people's hearts so they get to the point where, where they can receive from you. Jesus was totally secure in who he was and who his, you know, and what his ministry was. And, um, you know, his disciples had issues with it. Hey, there's someone over there, you know, speaking in your name, and they're not one of us. And he's like, if they're not, um, if they're not against us, they're for us. He was completely secure uh, in who he was. And, and wh- he always waited. He never forced himself into someone's heart. Someone, you know, had to have their heart open. And, and it doesn't mean that someone comes up, uh, someone, you, you can never offer your advice or counsel to someone who hasn't specifically asked for it, but they have to indicate that they want to receive from you. Because it could be that they just want to be loved and listened to. When Nicodemus came to Jesus in John chapter 3, he came in the night. He didn't ask for Jesus' advice, but Jesus sure did give it to him, didn't he? Why? Well, this guy has come to me in the night. He's looking for something. And so he gives him some... Uh, in, in, in John chapter 3, Jesus gives him some unasked for advice. And he says, unless a man is born again, he will not see the kingdom of heaven. Oh, really, Jesus? He, you know, Nicodemus just came to him and said, wow, you're, you're a wonderful teacher. No one could do, do the teachings that you do if they had, uh, hadn't come from God. And just Jesus blurts out seemingly, uh, you know, you're not going to get to heaven unless you're born again. Whoa, why did he just say that? It had nothing to do with Nicodemus. Just but but Jesus, uh, Jesus knew uh, that this guy was coming to him because he wanted to receive uh, from him. And it's important uh, that we do the same thing. Chapter 7, verse 1, Is there not a time of hard service for man on earth? Are not his days also like the days of a hired man, like a servant who earnestly desires uh, the shade, and like a hired man who eagerly looks for his wages? So I have been allotted months of futility, and wearisome nights have been... Uh, so this is going on for some time. That's verse 3 is interested. This thing's been going on for months. So it wasn't just a matter of days. It was months. Verse 4 says, when I lie down, I say, Where, when shall I arise? And the night be ended. So there's insomnia going on here. For I have all my fill of tossing till dawn. He's tossing around, uh, he's tossing around all night, unable to sleep. My flesh is caked with worms and dust. My skin is cracked and breaks out afresh. My days are swifter than a weaver's shuttle and are spent without hope. Oh, remember that my life is a breath. My eyes will never again see good. The eyes of him who sees me will see me no more. While your eyes are upon me, I shall no longer be. So he's basically saying in verse 7 here, he's, I'll never again experience the joy of life. And he really believes this, but he was believing lies. He's believing the, the voice of the enemy here. Verse 12, it says, I... Uh, it, 
verse 11 actually, therefore I will not restrain my mouth, I will speak in the anguish of my spirit, I will complain in the bitterness of, uh, of my soul. Am I a sea or a sea serpent that you set a guard over me? So now again, he's talking back to these guys, or this guy Eliphaz, and says basically, you're treating me like a sea monster. <laughs> and then verse 14 says, then you scare me with dreams and terrify me with visions. And so remember, Eliphaz, had, he's the guy who said to Job, hey, Job, God told me that you have sin. I even saw it in a vision. And, you know, that's like really not okay. And here you see what happens when you do things like this. It winds up really scaring people. I heard this story about um, a woman who left a cult uh, that she was in blind somewhere, uh, and she was seven, she was pregnant, visually pregnant, and some guy from her church, her former church, the one that she had left, uh, said to her, "You know, if you don't go back to church, your baby is going to be born deformed." And you know, this thing type of thing happens not infrequently. And, you know, it was just, I heard the story and how fearful she was of that and, 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 and this type of thing. And fortunately, she was able to get good counsel that, you know, it just was not of God. And, you know, the book of James says that wisdom from above, above is peaceable, gentle, and loving. And, and, and uh, it just it wasn't from, of God. And, of course, it didn't come true. But this is, this is the kind of abuses that are out there. People saying they saw visions and, and things like that. Well, here Job talks about the effect that they have on people. Verse 14, you scare me with dreams and terrify me with visions so that my ch- soul chooses strangling. Wow. I mean, no wonder some of the English poets have called this uh, the best poem in the history of the world. I mean, how does he come up with this stuff? It's the Holy Spirit. So, but, so that my soul chooses strangling. How descriptive that is. And death rather than my body. I loathe my life. I would not live forever. Let me alone for my days are but a breath. And then he starts talking to God. What is man that you should exalt him? That you should set your heart on him? That you should visit him every morning and test him every morning? Every moment. How long will you not look away from me? And let me alone till I swallow my saliva. Ooh. Have I sinned? Have I done to, uh, to you, O watcher of men? So this is, really, this is really important. When you, and I was talking with this pastor friend of mine who is going through this, this great affliction that he's going through. Um, and, and he readily admitted, look, I, I, I do ask God, God, is there some reason? Is there some sin uh, in me? And, and that is important. If you are going through some major, big-time hammering trial, you need to go to God. God, is there something in my life that you are really trying to get my attention? And guess what? Most of the time, I have found the answer is yes. God's trying to speak to me. I'm not in the trial. I'm not necessarily in the trial because I've been perfectly righteous like Job and, and Satan's been saying, oh, that Steve guy only follows you because you've been blessing him. No, it's because of some issue in my life and the Lord's trying to get my attention. So that's what Job is doing here. Verse 20, have I sinned? What have I done to you, O watcher of men? Very important that uh, you and I do that uh, in times of, uh, in, in times of, of trial.
And, you know, it's really cool that notice how Job is talking to God. But you'll never see these guys talking to God. You know, there's plenty of people out there, there are a dime a dozen, who can talk about God. But those aren't the kind of people I really want to hang around. The people who talk about God, but they don't talk to God. I like hanging around people who do both. (laughs) And it's really cool how sort of Job goes back and forth to talking about God to talking to God. And, and so when people are in a big time struggle and, and it's very clear that it's none of your business why the struggle is happening, the best thing to do is talk to God with them. In other words, pray, pray, pray with them. Look, I don't know why you're going through what you're going through, but I do know that the Bible says in this situation I should pray. We should pray. And, you know, it's, it, it, it's such a wonderful... Um, just a wonderful opportunity of ministry that we have. Just simply to pray in, in these kind of situations. And you will find yourself in these situations where you're, wow, this person's going through it. What am I supposed to do? A lot of times it's just the Lord wants you to pray. Chapter 8. Then, Bildad the shoe height. Now my son Sam says this is the only one of the four comforters that they, they have biographical uh, information. He's the height of a shoe. He's, he's shorter than Nehemiah. Um, so blame Sam for that humor, not me. Come on, you guys. At least be nice and laugh at my jokes. Where's Denise. Denise got back from Peru, and my kids are like, Denise is coming back. She laughs at your jokes. She's in rock. Oh, Denise, we should have brought her in tonight. Verse 2, how long will you speak these things, and the words of your mouth be like a strong wind? So what this guy, this guy's real encouraging, right? Bill Dad, the shoe height. You're such a windbag, Job. Real encouraging guy. Wow, what else is he going to say? Verse 3, does God subvert judgment or does the Almighty pervert justice? If your sons have sinned against him, he has cast away for their transgression. If you would earnestly seek God and make your supplication to the Almighty, if you were pure and upright, surely now he would awake for you and prosper your rightful dwelling place. Though your beginning was small, yet your latter end would increase abundantly. This guy is clueless. Utterly clueless. I was reading in my own devotion. I'm in the book of Mark. And it's that story where, in, in the book of Mark, in, in chapter 7, where they, the, the Pharisees are looking at the disciples and uh, some of them were eating bread with unwashed hands, and it says, and they found fault. I don't want to be like that. I just don't want to be like that. Like Bildad, the Shuhite, like the Pharisees, who look at a situation, and immediately I'm sizing it up, finding fault. I want to... 
C.H. Spurgeon once said, I, I, I want to be like a guy who is blind in one eye and deaf in one ear. In other words, there's things we see and hear, we just let them go poo-poo, you know, so we can minister. And so here comes this guy, Bildad, and we thought Eliphaz was bad, and he just, just hammers, just heart, starts hammering Job. How long, verse 2, will you speak these things in the words of your mouth like a strong wind? And verse 3, do you challenge the justice of God? So we, this guy, Bildad, thinks he is sticking up for God here. It gets even worse in verse 4. If, if your sons have sinned against him, he has cast them away. The reason your sons died is because they were in sin. Boy, this guy really has the gift of encouragement. With friends like this who needs enemies. Verse 5, if you would earnestly seek God and make your supplication to the Almighty, if you were pure and upright, surely now he would awake for you. And you're pro- and prosper your rightful dwelling place. Though your beginning was small, let, yet your let latter end would increase abundantly. For inquire, please, of the former age, and consider the things discovered by their fathers. For we were born yesterday and know nothing, uh, because our days on earth are a shadow. Will they not teach you and tell you in other words from their heart. This guy doesn't know what he's talking about. He's saying, why don't you just look in the Bible and inquire into the former age and you tell me, once you inquire into it, has anyone who is righteous suffered like you're suffering? Well, first, we've talked about this, first person born of a woman, or maybe it was the second person, first good person born of a woman, Abel, righteous Killed. He was a righteous man. So again, you know, another thing we need to do is we need to be familiar with the Word of God when we go to council. Just talk tonight about these two people who went and visited my friend. They, they didn't know the Word of God. They're, they're trying to give counsel about the Word of God. They don't know about it. We need to know the Word of God um, before we are quoting it left and right like this. Verse 11, can, you, can papyrus grow up without a marsh? Can the reeds flourish without water while it is yet green and not cut down? It withers before any other plant. So are the paths of all who forget God. Now that is true. It just doesn't, not, it's not true for Job. <laughs> it is true that those who, who's, the paths of those who forget God, you know, eventually they're going to wither up. They're going to be cut down. Verse 5, he's continuing talking sort of about the wicked. He leans on his house, but it does not stand. He holds it fast, but it does not endure. He grows green in the sun, and his branches spread out in the garden. His roots wrap and around the rock heap and look for a place in the stone. If he is destroyed from the place, then it will deny him, saying, I have not seen you. In other words, prosperity may come up, but it will soon 
go away. Verse 19, behold, this is the joy of his way, and out of the earth others will grow. Behold, God will not cast away the blameless, nor will he uphold evildoers. He will yet fill your uh, mouth with laughing and your lips with rejoicing. Those who hate you will be clothed with shame, and the dwelling place of the wicked will come to nothing. And so what this guy was really uh, missing in the biggest, biggest way is mercy. We need to be filled with mercy when we're ministering to people who are in a low, low place. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 9, he said to the Pharisees, go and learn this, the meaning of this, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. In Matthew chapter 11, Jesus says, Come to me, all you are weary and heavy laden. Learn from me, because I'm lowly in heart and I'm, and I'm meek. Mercy is what people need from us. We were in first Sam- when we were in 1 Samuel, remember when the Philistines captured the Ark of God and they started coming up with boils themselves because they were, they were inflicted for, because they're under the direct judgment of God and um, they sent it back to Israel. Remember, they, they sent the Ark of Covenant. We don't want this thing anymore because everywhere that, that Ark went, um, people were dying and breaking out with, in boils and all kinds of terrible things. They sent it back to Israel. It went back to Beth Shemeth and Israel, and it says, the Israelites, oh, wow, there's the ark of God. Let's just take a, a peek inside. No, no, you don't want to do that, uh, not in the least in the Old Testament. And they lifted up the mercy seat, it says, and 50,000 men or, in that area were killed. Some translations say 5,000. Instantly. Why? Why, Lord? Why would something like that happen? And that's what happens when we move the mercy seat and we to try to check out the law. (laughs) How about you? We need God's mercy. And when we're ministering, we need to remember mercy. When you remove mercy in your ministry, you will see death in your ministry. And when I say ministry, I'm not talking about some formal thing. Just my ministry, I'm just talking about when you're with your friend or your your coworker or your family member and the way you treat them, if you remove mercy, you'll just find death in the relationship. Same thing with relationships between husband and wives, between parents and children, children and their parents. Mercy, so, so uh, important. So Bildad, the shoe height, uh, where is your soul here? And so oftentimes, though, we need to look into our hearts. Remember the mercy that has been shown us. So important for us in our devotion time to remember just how much mercy that God has given us so we can turn right around and give it to others. Okay, let's pray. Father, we just thank you for these hard lessons that we're learning, Lord And Father, we do want uh, we do want to to be people who are very serious, Lord, about Your mercy, who love mercy not only when we get it, but we just love to give it, Lord. We want to be those people. 
And Father, I also just want to pray for anyone here, Lord, this evening who may be in, in a place uh, in their life where they don't completely understand uh, the, the situation they're in. They may not understand it at all, Lord. I pray, Father, you'd open up their eyes to just the abundance of mercy that resides within your heart, Lord, that they may see it, that they may cling to it, that they may live and breathe that, Lord. Father, we just thank you. We thank you just that mercy is in your character. You can't help but have mercy, no matter what we've done, how low we've fallen, because you are mercy. You can't help but be who you are. Thank you for that, Lord. We worship you for that. Lord, we pray these things in Jesus' name.